It's in First Thessalonians chapter five, and we're going to cover kind of a, a doctrine, several doctrinal things. A little bit new to some of us tonight, and I hope that'll be a blessing and encouragement to you this evening. And uh, we'll try our best to help make sure it's simplified for you to understand. First Thessalonians five. I want you to start with me with verse twenty. I want you to read these verses with me, verses twenty to twenty-three. First Thessalonians five, verses twenty to twenty-three. Say amen if you're there. Let's read together. Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Notice verse 23 altogether. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body preserve blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, your word has been read. The Bible says in Revelations 1-3, Blessed is he that readeth the word of God. And tonight we need more than just a reading of your word and more than just a meditation of your word, which you do promise to bless. Lord, we need your word to really work its way in us. We pray for it to take deep root downward and producing fruit upwards. We're praying tonight that, God, you strengthen us in doctrines that we'll be studying and Christian life applications that we need right now. Thank you just preceding this service and this Bible study has been our discipleship classes. Thank you for the teachers. Thank you for those who are enrolled in those classes, their eagerness to learn your word and to grow in the faith. And as we go through the word of God tonight, as Lord, especially this is a very, it's a very uh, detailed uh, subject here, we pray that you help us to grow in the faith and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But through that, it's not just head knowledge I pray that we'll get. I pray, Lord, it's a life application and life change that you'll give us. Would you bless this service tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us, we've been going through a series from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you've been in church any length of time, kind of my favorite method of just going through the Bible is book by book. I just kind of feel like through expository preachings, we go book by book and verse by verse. And I'm not opposed to topical preaching and theme preaching, but I just feel like if you go book to book, you just kind of cover everything that needs to be covered. And uh, we just believe that uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, it gets covered there eventually. And I said this last week, when you study the Word of God, God's Word is confrontational, but God's Word is all also counseling. We get good counseling from that. It helps us. This past Sunday night, uh, we, we just kind of got a little bit into this family subject there, the topic of family there from uh, Psalms 127. And I can't be honest with you, just to tell you this, and I don't mind if you tell the preacher this, I really, I'm not sure what Brother, Brother Miracle is going to preach on Saturday. I trust him, but uh, I'm not sure he's going to preach, and I want to make sure it gets covered. So I thought this Sunday night I'd cover it. Amen, you know? And uh, I'm thankful for that because one of our members forward to the podcast. And by the way, I'm thankful for our men who work in our sound and audio ministry. They get that podcast up quickly. One of our families got the podcast to someone they've been working on to, to come to our couple's retreat. And uh, the lady, the wife, got it. It's a co-worker, got it. She listened to it. You, know, you imagine this. Now, we left here, what, 7? Uh, we finished about 7.10, and I didn't leave here until about 9 o'clock on Sunday night. But they got it around, I guess, 8.30, 9 o'clock, and they listened to it and told our church member, hey, sign me up. I'm coming to the couple's conference on Saturday, you know? So you just never know. It goes to places, and it's very helpful to people. So we're just going through First Thessalonians because not only does it tell us how to, how to have a dynamic church for God, there's some good Christian application. And I want you to notice that application is in verse 23. Because as we, as, we, as we study the Bible and through expository preaching, we realize that there is a, there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a direction God wants us to garner. And there's some things we're going to see here. And you'll notice verse 23, you're going to see here that the doctrine of sanctification is covered here. Let me read verse 23 to you again, please. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Now he puts a colon there. And you have to take every word as we'll study it tonight very carefully. 
verse 23, as we get into this, is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm kind of a place in life because I'm a little bit older. I, I love to study the prayers of the Bible because I, I want to be better at my praying. I want to be able to get a hold of God. Amen? I, I want to be able to know how to, the kind of praying that changes things around us there. Because I'll tell you what those Bible characters went through. They were, there was nothing different about them and about you and me. The difference is that the, the biggest thing probably I could tell you is that these men, who what we find recorded, who prayed prayers, they just believed God. And they didn't let circumstances, they didn't believe circumstances were bigger than God. They believed that God was bigger than the circumstances. Amen? And so we read verse 23 here, and it says, The very God of peace. Notice it says, Sanctify you holy. Well, the word sanctification is, is all through the Bible. We find it in the Old Testament, New Testament. Sanctification is not just a New Testament principle. It's a, it's a Bible principle from day one. And sanctification, as we'll see tonight, is, is more than just a setting apart that God wants to do in our life. And Paul is praying here. He says, now the very God of peace sanctify you holy. We're talking about the whole man, the total person. And he said in verse 23, I pray God, and get in mind, this is the second church he went to on his second missionary tour. This is a church he had fond memories of. In fact, we read about two of the men who journeyed with Paul uh, as, he, as he left, as he continued his missionary journeys. These men, I, I believe they were probably preachers in training. And he says, I pray God your whole spirit, notice this, spirit, soul, and body. Now we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, none of our discipleship classes in level one deals with this. But it's a question that comes up about what we call the tripartite nature of man. The spirit, soul, and body. This is part of what you'll study if you go through our Bible Institute that we'll be starting up in the near future. As you go through the doctrine of man, anthropology. It deals with the, the three-part makeup of man. Man is tripartite. Man is not a trinity. Only God is a trinity. Only God is a trinity because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are deity. You and I are not deity, and we're not going to become deity, amen? We are, we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And so when we look, at, we look at this matter, he talks about, I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something we want to see here tonight about this matter of the blameless man and about sanctification. And so we start with the question, what is sanctification? A teenage girl who had been very worldly and uh, kind of dabbled into different kinds of sins came under the influence of gospel preaching. Thank God for gospel preaching. Amen. Gospel preaching, she heard she was a sinner, she heard she needed to get saved, she heard the gospel, and at the invitation accepted Jesus Christ, her Savior. I see our sister Marvely here tonight, and Marvely got saved on July 31st. Marvely, Marvely just came to me last Sunday, two Sundays ago, she said, Pastor, I'm, I, I, I'm, God's touched my heart, I want to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. This young girl, same way, she came to the preacher, and she said, I want to get baptized, and she got baptized. And then she, they had an interview process where she met with the deacons about church membership. It's a good thing. Churches get large. They probably have to do that. And she met with the deacons, and one of the old crusty deacons there, he said, well, uh, tell me, are, are, are you a sinner? And she says, yes, sir. She says, I am a sinner. But she said, I'm saved by grace. And he said, uh, well, how, he said, well, how do you know that you're, you're saved? I mean, how do, you, how do you know there's been a change in your life? And this is what she said. She says, you know, I don't understand all the terminology, and I, I just know this. She says, at, uh, she says, before I got saved, I was a sinner chasing after sin. But after I got saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. Amen? 
And I think that's the best definition I could give you about sanctification tonight, that before you got saved, you were a sinner chasing after sin, but after you got saved, praise God, you should be a sinner running from sin, amen? And so as we look at the doctrine of sanctification tonight, and some of the key terminology, I want to give you some thoughts here tonight as a part of our prayer loop. Write this down if this is not in your notes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, would you turn a couple pages over? 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verse 3, we read this. It says, for this is the will of God. And you need to study this tonight because you're not in God's will if you don't follow this. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should have saved from fornication. Now, there's three thoughts he's giving there that all work together. But number one, here's what I want you to understand. Sanctification is the will of God for our life. Sanctification is the will of God for our life. Now go back to verse 23 of chapter 5. And I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a thought here that ties in with what we're going to look at tonight. Sanctification is also the work of God in your life. Sanctification is the work of God in your life. And so we're going to see tonight from this prayer of the Apostle Paul, how does this all pull together? How, how does God work in the whole man? Now, I want you to write this down as, as, as we begin the study tonight. In salvation, we are blessed. Did you catch that? In salvation, we are blessed. We did not earn salvation. Salvation is the gift of God. Can you hear an amen about that tonight? It is the grace of God in our life. In salvation, we are blessed. You might write next to that thought, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is talking about the blessings of salvation. Now, notice this tonight. In salvation, we are blessed, but after we get saved, the process of sanctification comes in. Now, you want to write these three words down. You've heard me talk about this in this series. You've heard in discipleship, hopefully. You've heard it along the way. One of the, uh, the, the assistant pastors in the church have preached but let me give you this, okay? We have salvation or justification. Sanctification, if you would, we have justification, we have sanctification, and we have glorification. Have you heard those topics, those, those things? We have, we, that's the process of how God works in our life, okay? Now, sanctification is the whole process of that, but we have justification. God, when he saves us, looks at us just as if we never sinned. And in justification, we are, we are free from the penalty of sin, okay? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. When you get saved, you're free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is no longer on you. That's why I love Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation than there are Christ Jesus. But now after you get saved, now sanctification comes into the process, okay? The Holy Spirit lives in you and me. The Holy Spirit is residing in you and me. So while we have the indwelling of the Spirit, there's sanctification. Now what is sanctification, okay? Let me go over again. Justification, we are free from the penalty of sin. Now watch this. In sanctification, as we'll see tonight, this is the work of God in producing holiness. And we're going to kind of work our way through that a little bit tonight. But justification, excuse me, sanctification is we are free from the power of sin. We're free from the power of sin. And you have to tie into that Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8 and what we're going to teach tonight. But then when we, when we leave this life, we enter into eternity. We're going to see how the spirit, soul, and body comes together. There's glorification. That's the, that's the final con, uh, end process of, of that. And glorification is when we are free from the presence of sin. Why? Because we are, we, are, we are changed into the image of our Lord and Savior. We are glorified, if you would. Glorification happens. We've seen that in several other verses we studied along the way. Glorification does not happen until we get to heaven there. And so tonight, we're going to look at this matter of how this all pulls together in verse 23. Notice three things tonight. 
Notice where he thinks that, because as we conclude verse 23, verse 23 reminds us that God, the prayer of the Apostle Paul, is that, he would, that God would uh, preserve us, spirit, soul, and body, blameless before God at the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a key thought, because the blamelessness is it's talking about sanctification, as God is working this, producing holiness in our life, and setting us apart for his glory. It is so that when we, we appear, before, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, that we stand before him faultless or blameless. So I want you to see three things tonight from this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want, you cons- I want you to notice the consideration. Now we're dealing with what I call the whole man. Notice again verse 23. He says, I, 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 the, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And he says, I pray God your whole spirit. Now the consideration I want you to look at tonight is Psalms chapter 8 in our first point. I want you to notice man, God and man. God and man. Notice chapter 8, and if you've studied this in your devotions, you most likely, like me, have been very encouraged by it, and you feel very insignificant. But listen to Psalms 8, beginning with verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Now, grasp this, okay? In terms of, in terms of creation, we are lower than the angels. But notice this. We are crowned with glory and honor. God did not crown the angels with glory and honor. You and I are crowned with glory and honor. Think about this with me tonight. The consideration of God for man. And let's keep going. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. And then the psalmist said this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So just so I stay on track and don't get off on, a, get off on one, one, one point and I'm there for the next 20 minutes and we stay on time, I want you to notice some things. The first thing I want you to see is how highly God reconsiders you and I. Now if you are, if you are dealing with some sense of insecurity and some sense of insignificance and you feel like you're not worth, you feel like you're worthless and you feel like that you don't fit anywhere, and you feel like you have no significance in the work of God. On one end, I want to thank you for being humble, but on the other, I want you to consider Psalms chapter 8. I want you to realize this. God has high thoughts concerning you and me. God thinks wonderful things about you and I. And I wish tonight I had time to develop Psalms 139 when the psalmist talks about how God thinks of us and knows of us. Now, notice here in in Psalms chapter 8 quickly how highly God considers us. The psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Now, man is at the forefront of God's thoughts. I mean, I want you to think with me tonight of how husbands, how much you're in love with your wife, and wives, how much you're in love with your husband, and you go through the day, and sometimes maybe you, you know, get caught up with your work and things of that nature, but you think about your wife, and you think about your husband, or you think about your children. I mean, those nearest to you, they're at the forefront of your thoughts. But I want you to notice this. As much as you're someone you love in your family is the forefront of your thoughts, we, you and I are continuously on the thoughts of God. I mean, that's what's great about God and awesome about God and His omnipotence, that we never slip out of His mind. Amen? I mean, we're always on His thoughts. I mean, uh, you know, when we think, oh, God, do you even care? Yes, God cares and God knows. And we think God's silence means that God doesn't care. That, that is not how God is. God, listen, we are continuously on the thoughts of God because God is eternal. I mean, if you're, if you're someone struggling with, with uh, insecurity tonight, I want to encourage you this evening that you are never out of the thoughts of God. God is always thinking about you. God is always thinking good things about you. God never thinks bad things about you. By the way, aren't you glad tonight God never gets bitter about you? Amen. Amen. 
Aren't you glad tonight God, God might, might, we, might, we might ruffle God's dandruff a little bit, if I can say that tonight, but God, God never gets bitter about you and I. And the psalmist said this, What is man that thou art mindful of him? I mean, think about it for a minute. God knew us before we were even formed. I mean, think about Jeremiah, what he said, Jeremiah 1.5. He said, when I was in my mother's womb, you called me. Not about you, but I think about a, a little baby forming in the womb of a mother. And to think that the God of the universe said, Jeremiah, you're going to be a preacher. He called him while he was in the womb. What a great thought. I mean, you read Psalms 139, and the psalmist, man, I mean, how could you not, how could you not uh, uh, believe in life beginning conception when you read Psalms 139, amen? And God, God has a, as we look at this, he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God has a predetermined will for every man. Listen, every one of us has a purpose in God's life. Hey, don't spend your life wandering around trying to figure out what God wants you to do. God has already got his mind made up what you're supposed to do. You and I need to get into the word of God and find out what is it God wants us to do and get on board with it. Amen. Notice something else here tonight. Man is at the forefront of God's thoughts, but notice this. Man was made to have a relationship with God. Now, this is where spirit, soul, and body come in, okay? God didn't make you and I uh, so that we could be robots. We have volition. Volition means we have a free will. God, God wants a relation with you and I. Look at, look at verse, verse 5. Excuse me, uh, verse, verse 4 again. He says, what is man that are mindful? And then he asks the second question. And the son of man. That thou visitest him. God walked in the cool of the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and said, Adam, where are you? I mean, I want you to think of me for a minute. God, who is mighty, visits you and me. God has an appointment with you and me. I don't know about you, but the creator of all the universe, you and I are pretty important if he's going to come visit you and me, amen? I mean, we're pretty important there, amen? I mean, he's coming to see you and me. And he said, the psalmist was overwhelmed with that thought. And I, I just tell you, honestly, I think he was looking at the stars one night. He looked at the moon, and he saw the planets in formation. And he didn't understand everything about astronomy. But he said, man, there's something about that Milky Way there. And there's something about, he's something about the Big Dipper up there. And he's thinking about, man, God, you're bigger than all that, and you're beyond all that. And then it uh, that probably gripped him that, that moment of time. God started speaking to him, and he started thinking, what is the Son of Man that thou visitest him? And I want to tell you something tonight. God loves you. Miss him. Some, sometimes we hear that so much it's kind of become very very just uh trite with us but i want you to think with me tonight god loves you and god visits you and god wants a relationship with you he doesn't want a casual relationship he wants a deep relationship he wants us to know who he is beyond being the creator he wants us to know that he's our god and he's our father and he's a god who wants to have an intimate relationship with you and i Notice the second thing tonight. The first thing we see is how highly god considers man but notice the second thing on this first point man is god's prized creation Psalms 139, verse 14 says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 126 says, We are made in the image of God. And we'll spend some time on that. Now, when it says we're made in the image of God, remember this. We are not, God is not physical. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And we are spiritual beings. He, when he made us, he made us a spiritual being. Now, he, we're spiritual beings with flesh. That's why it's interesting when you read about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh. 
God became like you and I, yet without sin, praise God. Let me give you some words very quickly because I need to work through this tonight. When we consider the, how we're made in the image of God, let me give you some things that are about our spiritual nature that are very important when we think about being made in the image of God. And I said this earlier, okay? Number one, man is volitional. God made you and I to have a will just like his. Now, you're going to hear a term later on tonight that's part of our, our Baptist tenets and is part of us understanding who we are. God made you and I and gave us, with, uh, gave us what we call individual soul liberty. That speaks about our free will. Individual soul liberty, okay? You, the, the acrostic Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T, okay? The letter I, it talks about individual soul liberty. Now, that's important because Calvinists do not hold to individual soul liberty. As Baptists, we believe God made us, and it's all throughout the Bible, God made us with individual soul liberty. We have volition. We are a free moral agent, and we see that through the Bible. I need to work this real quickly. Secondly, man, man is intellectual. When God made you and I in his image, he gave us intelligence. I mean, look at Adam named all the species. If you don't like the name Aardvark, blame Adam. Don't blame me, amen? Okay? If you don't like the name some kind of a species there, you blame Adam. Maybe that's why the dodo bird doesn't exist anymore. I don't know, you know? Man is intellectual. God has given man an intelligence, okay? Look at this. God, God says this. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Man is volitional. Man is intellectual. Man is moral. Man has a moral likeness to God. In Genesis, in Romans 2.15, we exercise our morality through what is known as the conscience. Man was made with a conscience. We know it's right. We know it's wrong. We're pricked in our conscience, okay? Look at little babies. When you, when you correct a little baby, even a little baby, they, they know that they've done wrong when they cry. Uh, man was made with a social likeness to God, okay? Listen, as individuals, God made us to have fellowship with other people, to enjoy companionship. And the very first thing God said about man, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, that's beyond just a companionship with a wife. He says it's not good that man should be alone. Hey, he didn't want you to be a loner. If you're a loner, man, you're, you're, you know, get, get, get back into the swing of things, amen, okay? Just get plugged in. Don't be a loner. God made man to be involved with people, okay? You say, well, I'm not a people person. Well, maybe you're not a people person, but you can become a people person. You get interested in people and love people. I wasn't a people person when I got saved. I wanted to do my own thing. And then God started working my life. I learned about soul winning. I realized if you're going to be a soul winner, you got to, you got to get involved with people. Amen? You got to go where people are. And so you notice right here, he says, God, he says here that God, God wants man to have fellowship. By the way, he made us to have social fellowship because, God, first of all, God wants us to have vertical fellowship. That's fellowship with him. Okay? Now notice something else tonight. Man was made a living soul by the breath of God. Notice Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, I'm going to get into this later on, but that verse, verse uh, of Genesis 2-7 explains to us the tripartite nature of man. Okay? When God made him of the dust of the earth, that's the physical, that's the body. When he breathed into his nostrils, the word breathe is the same idea we get the word pneuma from, or the spirit. And so we see the spirit of God uh, gave my, man, breath, uh, gave life into man. And then he says man became a living soul. Now you have to understand something. The soul lives on forever. And what we see there helps ex uh, explain to us that the soul is an eternal, has an eternal nature to it. And we'll see that as we break up this matter of the spirit, soul, and body. Then notice something else here, as I said earlier. Man, God, God highly considers man. Uh, man is God's prized creation, but man is an everlasting being. We have we, we, our soul is eternal. 
Our soul is eternal. Now, your soul is either going to spend eternity in heaven or your soul is going to spend eternity in hell. If you're saved, it's in heaven. If you're not saved, it's in hell. You want to get saved tonight. You want to make sure Jesus Christ is your Savior there, okay? So in Psalms chapter 8, we see the consideration. Man is highly considered by God. But notice secondly tonight, because I need to get down to our main subject. Notice the second thing tonight. We see the consideration of man, but notice very quickly tonight, the constitution of man. The constitution of man. I want you to see the makeup of man. Now, Paul makes mention, it's not the only place in Scripture, but Paul makes mention of the, of the sanctification of the entire man, of the whole man. And here in verse 23, Paul makes mention of the man, the whole man being spirit, soul, and body. Now write this down again if you have not written it down. Man is a tripartite being. Tripartite being. Tri, T-R-I, partite, P-A-R-T-I-T-E. There are three components of man, spirit, soul, and body. Notice some verses that help explain that. Hebrews 4.12, would you consider that? When it talks about the word of God piercing and dividing asunder, listen, the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrows. So it identifies the working of God's word through our soul and our spirit, but the joint and marrows, marrows is talking about the physical. It's talking about the body. It's talking about the, 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 the body we have. When God's word works in us, it works in our spirit. It works in our soul. And through that, through our body, we live it out there. And we'll see that in a moment here. Notice something else we find. Notice in Genesis 2-7, again, as I saw earlier, it talked about the dust of the ground being the body, the breath of life concerning the spirit and the living soul. Now look again at 1 Thessalonians 5-23. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, God, in the process of sanctification and producing a blameless character is not just in the spirit, not just in soul. God knows that it must be working through all of us. So I want you to see the tripartite constitution of man. First of all, notice man's shell. Man's shell is our body. I'm going to start with the body tonight. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50, the Bible refers to our body as flesh and blood. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The way we are right now cannot enter to heaven. It will not happen. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Notice this in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. The Bible refers to our body as a house and a tabernacle, as a shell. Paul said this, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. Now, when he talks about the body, he helps us understand something theologically that happens in our life. When, 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 when death occurs, the spirit and the soul are separated from the body. James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead. So notice as we work through this, we see something else here. Notice in 2 Corinthians 4.7, we find that the body is flesh and blood. We find that the body is called a house and a tabernacle or is a shell. Notice 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it's called an earthen vessel. It's a clay pot. It's a vessel. It's a shell. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have to go back and study there, uh, Jeremiah 17, about the potter and the clay to understand what he's saying there. But what he's basically he's telling us is that the body is physical. Now, why is that important for us to understand the shell? Well, let me give you some things about our body. The body's physical. It's flesh and blood. It has appetite. It has desire. It ages. It corrupts. It gets sick. It's carnal and fleshy. Write this down, please, if it's not in your notes. The body functions to what we call sense consciousness. Sense consciousness. You need to write that down because I'm going to show you a graph in a moment here tonight. 
Now, the body functions through sense consciousness. Our consciousness is affected by our senses, our sight, our smell, our taste, our touch, and our hearing. How does Satan attack us? Satan attacks us through our senses, our sight. How was Eve tempted? Through her sight and through her hearing. What did, what did, uh, what did J, uh, not Jabez, but what did Achan say when he was confronted about his sin? He said, I saw, I coveted, and I took. If you dealt with temptation today, most likely it was through what you saw or what you heard. We have sense consciousness through the body. Say amen if you understand where I'm at tonight, okay? I'm seeing a bunch of blank stares this evening, okay? Sense consciousness. The body functions through sense consciousness. Through what we smell, through what we taste, through what we touch, through what we hear, through what we see, okay? Now, the body is mortal and corruptible. The body must be disciplined. The body must be disciplined. That's why fasting is an important aspect of the spiritual life. And we're going to encourage the church. Uh, we've got several, several Thursdays, beginning with September 26th. I'm going to lead the church. I want you to help take, if, if your physical nature is able to, you're not diabetic or have other issues that would impair this, uh, and we're going to be encouraging the church to, to set aside that one day, uh, to set aside those specific dates for prayer and fasting for friend day, and maybe for the for salvation of family members. But notice tonight, we see sense consciousness. The body must be disciplined. Okay? Yeah, how many of you are getting older, you realize that if you don't stay active, you start to get lazy, amen? And how many understand if you don't stay busy and active and exercise, that that's not good for your chemistry makeup. I mean, you're trying to defer bad things from happening your body, right? So there's, the body must be disciplined, okay? Now, notice that the end, the, end, the end result of the body. The end result of the body is that the body will experience physical death. Without being emotional, death is a separation. The spirit and soul are separated from the body. The body dies. I want you to notice some verses with me, okay? Genesis 3.19, this is what God said to Adam. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. He says, you were made out of corruptible material, you're going to return to corruptible material. Job 19.26. Now, bear in mind as I read this here, Job is also has a, he, Job believed in a future resurrection. You have to look at the context here in Job 19. He believed in a future resurrection, but he understood death. He said, though after my skin, worms destroyed this body. He's talking about death. Yet in my flesh, he's talking about a future resurrection. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Ecclesiastes 12.7. Wonderful verse that helps us understand what happens at death. He says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And then, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The spirit is separated from the body at death. James 2.26, first a body without the spirit is dead. Even so faith without works is dead also. Now let me give you a thought, a few thoughts before I move on. Let us keep in mind that the body is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Okay, say amen to that. The body is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body, 1 Corinthians 6.13. Very important. In your readings this week, as a follow-through to the study tonight, you need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to understand that tonight. 
Then I want you to notice something else before we move on. I want you to understand that we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. Now, if you're saved tonight, you'll have to, you'll have to, you'll have to deal with this, 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 this uh, statement I'm going to make. You have to deal with this statement that if you're saved tonight, you don't own this body. You don't own the spirit inside it. God owns it. And if you, are, if you are manipulating God in it, you are basically telling God, hands off God, and that's a sin. We need to deal with the fact tonight that what this is belongs to God. Hey, parents, that's why it's important tonight that your children are in obedience to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And as a Christian, it's important to you tonight that you're in obedience to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Because we don't have a problem with God owning our soul and our spirit. But our flesh has a problem with God owning our bodies because of our desires. That's why when Jesus was tempted, you read Matthew chapter 4, where did Satan attempt attack him first? The matter of appetite. Turn those stones into bread, Okay. Appetite. Look at those stones. And, he, you know, and what he was saying there, he was saying, can you imagine if you turned those stones, they'd be a, a wonderful piece of bread, you know, and a wonderful loaf that you can eat there. And he attacked into the matter of appetite. And Jesus responded to him, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He says, I'm not my, he says, my dependence of my life is not upon eating. My dependence for my life is upon God's word in my soul. All right, so we dealt with man's shell. We, are you with me tonight? Okay, now, secondly, let's look at this. We're looking at the constitution of man. I want you to see not only man's shell, but notice man's soul. And what kind of consciousness does our body function by? Sense consciousness, okay? Now look at the soul. The soul functions through self-consciousness. The soul is not physical. The soul is the real you. In fact, the most important thing about you tonight, no matter who we are, is your soul. He said, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? The soul is our self-consciousness. This is how God works inside of us, through our spirit into our soul. Now, there are four components of our soul what I call four aspects or four windows of the soul. You'll see this in a graph in a minute. The first is our heart. Now, when you read Scripture, this will help you to understand this tonight. When you read Scripture, interchangeably, when it deals with the heart of man, it, it interchangeably is talking about the soul of man as well. Now, we point to the heart, but that's really not correct. When we deal with the heart of man, we're talking about the soul of man, his, his if you would, his self-consciousness, Okay? So let me give you some things here. When we deal with the heart, we're dealing with the emotions and the thinking of the individual. Now, I'm going somewhere. Please understand that. I'm giving you a little bit of teaching as we get to where we're going we're to arrive at tonight in verse 23. Now, the heart and soul exhibit the same characteristics. For instance, I put in your notes tonight, both can be poured out. Both the heart and the soul can be poured out. Both can be broken. We can have broken hearts. And we can have a broken soul. Both can have rejoicing. We can rejoice in our heart. We can rejoice in our soul. Now, emotions are a function of the heart. I mean, I want you to think about your emotions that you ran through this week here. There's gladness. There's happiness. There's desire. There's fear. There's anger. There's even lust. 
There's pride. You probably can't see it. It's a little bit too small. I'll have to reprint this for you. There's heaviness, there's bitterness, there's happiness. You'll notice the windows of the soul. I have, the, I, have, I, I have them pointing to the soul there. There's your heart, the emotional aspect of that. The heart also describes the inward condition of man. It can be wicked. For out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaketh. A heart can be wicked. That's what Jeremiah says. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Notice the second, the second window, okay? There's the heart, but then there's the mind. Now, the heart deals with our emotion thinking, but the mind deals with our knowledge and our reasoning. That's why when you read Proverbs, after I discuss this with you tonight or present this to you tonight, you'll have a better understanding of the, the need for wisdom and understanding how those all work together there because it works in your soul. Now, think, think with me some things about the mind. Our thoughts are a function of the heart as a man thinketh in his heart. Amen? Psalm 35, 25, let them not say in their hearts, Decisions are made in our hearts. We make a decision through the thinking and in our hearts. Let me give you something tonight, okay? Proverbs 4.23. I just read this the other day in my devotions. Keep thy heart with all diligence. That's a decision. For out of it are the issues of life, okay? What you do with your heart determines, and your soul determines what decisions you make. Now, you need to guard yourself very carefully because many times, especially as we're younger, we are hasty in our decisions, Romans 10, 9 and 10, notice how the decisions made in the heart of a sinner. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in what? That's your soul, your, your mind, your reasoning. I've come to the conclusion I'm a sinner. Sin must be punished. God punished his son Jesus Christ for my sin. God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Jesus died for my sins. Now I'm presented with the question, what will I do with Jesus Christ? Well, I need to confess Jesus Christ with, with my mouth that he died for my sins, that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. Notice this in verse 10. For with the heart, with the heart, through our mind and our soul, man believeth unto righteousness there. Okay, so there's the, there's the heart, there's the mind, but there's the will. We spoke about the will earlier. Individual soul liberty, our ability to make decisions. Hey, you chose to be here tonight. You, 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 were, you were not, you, you didn't have, you, you were not, uh, uh, you know, God didn't say, okay, I already pre-programmed, you're going to show up at church tonight, and everybody else who didn't show up, I didn't want them to come to church. No, you made a decision to come to church, amen? Okay? You had a free will. Now, if you're a young person and your parents dragged you here, yeah, you, it, it was against your will, but you got here anyway, amen, you know? But there's a conscience, number four. The will, the mind, the emotions, and the conscience. Conscience is your moral awareness. What kind of conscience do you have tonight? Do you have a good conscience? Or is it evil? Is it defiled? Is it seared? Paul said, I have a conscience void of offense before God and before man. Okay? So we see the soul of the man. The soul is what kind of consciousness? What kind of consciousness? Self-consciousness. The body's what kind of consciousness? Sense consciousness. It's up on the board there. Just look up there, okay? But notice the third component of man. Man's spirit. Now man's, okay, the body exhibits sense consciousness. 
the soul exhibits self-consciousness. What about the spirit of man? What about the spirit of man? God-consciousness. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. What does he say there? Searching all the inward parts of the belly. You want to be familiar with that verse. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle, uh, is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Job 32, 8. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Okay? What is the function of the spirit to the soul and the body? Okay? The spirit, because of God consciousness, is the means by which we have our communication with God. It's how we communicate with God. It's how we relate to God, okay, through our spirit, okay? Listen to this. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. You, you listen, this is the problem. Hey, listen tonight. If you came out of a contemporary church movement or you're thinking about going to contemporary church, let me tell you the problem with the contemporary church movement. It is not worshiping God through the spirit. It is worshiping God through the sensuality, the sensual nature of man, which is the body. You get, now don't, don't get me wrong, and I'm not getting on your case here, but you get these people up here with tight jeans exhibiting their body parts or short, short skirts on the ladies, and there's just, there's just no decency and there's no modesty about it, and they're jigging their body parts up on the stage. That, that does not appeal to my spirit. That appeals to my flesh. And you get the rock rhythm there, and you start to beat there, and you're going like this and trying to go like, no, don't, don't worry, I'm not getting morally here, okay? And you start getting like that there, okay? Only Ben Tang does that, okay? But you start getting like that, okay? 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 Where are you, Ben? Ben's hiding. <laughs> He's hiding behind Pastor AJ. <laughs> we worship God in spirit and in truth. What a profound thought because when Jesus said that, he said that to a woman who had five husbands, the man she was living with wasn't her husband. And they were worshiping, they were worship, they were not worshiping God on, 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 on Jerusalem. They were worshiping God in Samaria. And listen, the, the battle for the worship of God has it's a, you know the contemporary church movement is nothing new. That's been going on since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Because the devil is working through, he's working through our sense consciousness. When God made us to be functioning through a God consciousness. Okay? Why, why is it when you come to church and you'll hear, you'll hear preaching and God starts worrying? Let, let, me, let me use the example of our, our missions conference. I mean, there was God consciousness in everybody's lives, amen? I mean, there was great God consciousness because of just strong preaching and the Spirit of God working. I mean, God, God's working, but what did that produce? That God consciousness started to work in my self-consciousness, and that self-consciousness is subdued. My, my, my self-consciousness, uh, subdued my sense-consciousness to bring you to a place. I need to be down at that aisle there. I need to be down in my seat. I had a contrite heart. I, I, God started working our hearts about faith, promise, giving. It, but t- if we appeal to the flesh, that would not have produced the results that we've seen there. And let me give you some things tonight because I need to get to consecration. I don't have any time left here. The spirit is equated with the heart. So let me give you some things tonight. Think with me about our spirit. Okay, what the Bible talks about a willing spirit about a right spirit or a clean heart, about a broken spirit, about a contrite spirit. Hey, the Bible talks about women having a meek and quiet spirit, okay? 
Um, sometimes the Spirit exhibits qualities of the soul. Uh, if you look at these verses, I think they're in your notes tonight, but uh, the, the Spirit can, be, can experience sadness, ex- exhibits sadness, and the Spirit exhibits faithfulness and hastiness and humility and self-control. I mean, all of these things I'm reading you tonight, I'm talking about tonight, is found in the book of Proverbs. Man, is a tripart being. Our constitution, God made us the spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit must function through God consciousness. And through that God consciousness, God works through us in producing, if you would, this self-consciousness through the soul. And through our conscience, and through our mind, and through our will. And through that, we find that the Spirit of God works through that, through our body. And through our body, we understand that that is not through, we don't come to God through, through a sense consciousness. We come to God through a God consciousness. Okay? So I want you to pull all that together because as we close tonight, we see the consideration of man that God is, man is God's prized prize creation. And God loves you and I very much. And we see the constitution of man. Man is a tripart being consisting of spirit, soul, and body. Now go with, back with me in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And I've got to rush through this tonight. And in chapter 5, verse 23, we see the consecration of man. Now I'm going to use this interchangeably. Holiness, sanctification, consecration, synonymously are talking about the same thing. It's talking about something or someone being set apart for a special purpose. Dedication is an example. But we want to bring it to a higher level, amen? Because we're dealing on a higher realm. And that higher realm, that higher level we're at, is realizing is like Moses getting into the top of Mount Sinai and meeting with the very God of gods and Lord of lords and God meeting with him and keeping him entertained up there for 40 days with the commandments of God and the word of God. And I don't, I'm not really sure if God fed him bread or water. We're not told if he ate up there. It really doesn't matter. But there's no mention about food, and, uh, food for Moses up there on the mountain because, you know, when there's a God conscious, you're not worrying about eating. Amen? There's a God consciousness. You're not thinking about eating. You're just thinking about your soul. You're thinking about your spirit and your communication with God. And as you read through Exodus there about Moses being up there on the mountain with the Shekinah glory, he got a foretaste of that glory of God that would come down on that tabernacle and would dwell with them. And when the cloud descended, they were to stay there and worship God. When the cloud ascended, they were to go on in their journeys. But when the cloud descended, they were to stop and recognize that the God of gods and Lord of lords is with them. May I say to you tonight, there comes a place in our life through our devotional life and our spiritual being and the praying that we pray with God and our Bible reading and the preaching of God's word and doing the spiritual work of God. When God comes down, we have to realize that the the, the kind of glory, the cloud has come down and we need to stop and realize God is with us there. When God is with us, we're not supposed to do anything. We're not to journey. Take off your watch, amen. By the way, take off your shoes there too because God wants you to hang around for a little bit, amen. So notice this tonight. Consecration or sanctification, verse 23, is being set apart unto holiness. Now, how do you produce holiness, okay? Well, notice the context here. Verse 23 is not an isolated verse all by itself. It's connected to everything that precedes this here. Because remember, in chapter 4, verse 3, he said, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What's going on there? Paul is concerned about about a community of believers. They're in a pagan city. With pagan influences, idol worship, prostitution, alcoholism, uh, substance abuse, uh, immoral living, husbands leaving their wives and wives living with other men, all kinds of junk, junk and nonsense like that. 
immoral behavior. And he's writing to these people who got saved. They came under the influence of the gospel. As Paul reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And they came to know Christ as their Savior. And they're going through great pressures. This is a congregation of people that were grieving and hurting in their hearts because loved ones had predeceased them into heaven and they wanted to know, will I see those loved ones again? At the same time, there were some of them, they had been very ingrained by Paul on the, on the doctrine of eschatology, about the matter of things to come, about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul explains the doctrine of the rapture in chapters 4 and 3. He makes mention of it in chapter 1 and again here in chapter 5, verse 23. This, this was a church very well ingrained about the rapture, very well ingrained about things to come in 2 Thessalonians, which I can't wait to get into. He talks even further about the tribulation and the son of perdition or the man of perdition being Satan, uh, being the beast and so forth there. And here Paul is now dealing back with their spiritual lives. Because as a, as a, as a, as a spiritual father to them, as someone who was really concerned about their soul and their, and their ultimate, how they would turn out before Jesus Christ, Paul is looking, look at, he's, he's looking down the pipeline here and he's thinking, man, at the end of the journey, there's going to be a presentation. It's the ultimate of all presentations. It's the presentation of my life. Was I faithful to the end? Did I live my life? Did I fight a good fight? Did I finish the course? Did I keep the faith? And so Paul is looking at that here. And he says, i got to tell you something here. I said, he's, in, in all this, leading to verse 23, he talks about, notice if you would with me here, just open your Bible there. He talks about the, he gives them commands that are virtues of the Christian life and exercises that we must, we must, we must perform and we must work out in order for you and I, in order for you and I to, to, to have this sanctification. And so in verses 16 to 22, he talks about your role and my role and my part and your part in the matter of sanctification there. Notice he says things like rejoice evermore. And he talks about pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. And he talks about not quenching the spirit. Don't put out the fire of God and not despising prophecies and proving all things and holding fast to that which is good and standing for all appearance of evil. Now, if you look at all that, those are responsibilities you and I have. Amen. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to give thanks in all things. Amen? Amen. We're to rejoice evermore. Amen? We're to abstain from all appearances of evil. I mean, that's your responsibility. Hey, that, he, there's no question that he's talking about our, our part in sanctification. I want you to notice verse 23. If sanctification relied wholly on just what Alan Fong does, I, I can't attain sanctification. It's the work of God. Sanctification is not just the will of God. Sanctification is the work of God in your life and mine. Because notice what he says here. And the, he says here, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. He's pulling it all together. Now you keep on praying without ceasing. And you keep on giving thanks in all things. And you keep on abstaining from all appearances of evil. And you keep on loving prophesying of the word of God. And you keep on holding fast to that which is good. Do all those things. But he says, listen, you've got to get God intricately involved and in working your life. He said, I pray the very God of peace preserve you blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you tonight, we've got to get God actively involved in working our life. We've got to let God work through us through praying. And God work through us through, through preaching. And God working through us through living for him that, that the process and the goal of sanctification is accomplished in your life and mine. Not just one time, but until Jesus Christ comes for us. That's what he's saying there. Do you hear me tonight? You, are you with it tonight? Say amen if you're with it, okay? Notice how he does that tonight. A sanctified life is a life walking in, in and filled with the Spirit. But how do you get there? A sanctified life is the victorious Christian life. But how do you get there? A sanctified life is the means for answered prayer. But how do you get there? A sanctified life is the means for the power of God. But how do you get there? So notice in verse 23, first of all, how does God sanctify you and I holy? 
Holy means what? Spirit, soul, and body. How does he do that? Well, notice, first of all, he does as the God of peace. He does it as the very God of peace. In God consciousness, our God consciousness to our spirit, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. That's Isaiah. But when you get saved, you have peace with God. There's no more, there's no more war between us and God. I'm glad about that. Amen? Amen. We were the enemies of God. We have peace with God. And that peace was accomplished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.20. We have peace of God. Peace with God, but we have the peace of God. Now, you feel peaceful, it's one thing. But being peaceful and having the peace of God are two different things. Because the peace of God means you could be in the storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it doesn't bother you. You're bobbing up and down like a cork, like a, like, like a cork on a bottle, but it doesn't bother you. Because why? Because Jesus is in the boat with you. Amen? There's the peace with God. There's the peace of God. And there's peace with God. Or in God. So notice, if you would, would you indulge me for a minute? Because I need you to understand this thing. The God of peace is used three distinct times in our New Testament. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, listen to what it says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to be glory forever and ever. And amen. I could go off and preach another hour on these two verses. But the God of peace, the God of peace brought about salvation for you and I as the great shepherd of our souls, he brought about peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the everlasting covenant. But as a God of peace, and watch this, this, this is powerful. He brought again Jesus from the dead. He brought again Jesus from the dead as a God of peace. Notice it didn't talk about God, and he is, but it didn't talk about God as being the God of power. He is already. We know that. It speaks of the God of peace that brought again from the dead. Now, why is that important? Because, listen, as you and I try to live the Christian life, we're weak, we're volatile. Where our feet are made of clay, where we have weak days and powerless days. And so he tells us in verse 21, because the God of peace brought again Jesus from the dead, that great power he has. We're talking about the performance of God. He says here, he will make you perfect in every good work to do his will. The God of peace is the one who helps you to do his will. He makes you perfect. You don't make yourself perfect, and I don't make myself perfect, and I, can't, I cannot attain those levels. What, what is that? It's that divine power that he speaks about in 1st, 2nd Peter chapter 1, that divine power that overcomes the corruption that is in the world through laws. According to his divine power, he's given us all things. What is that all things? It's right here. He says he makes you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you. That's, that's important as we understand this. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in sight. Now watch this. The God of peace is the one who works in our lives to producing sanctification. It's the performance of God. But notice the second time, Romans 16, 20. 
And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The God, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. As the God of peace, he enables us to bruise, or like what some people use, they say enables us to crush Satan beneath our feet. To bruise means to hurt, to injure. After victory, the conquering king or general would take the captured enemy. Actually, the captured enemy king. And make that king lie face down. And then he would have parade all the generals and everybody, or the king himself. And he put his foot on the neck of that king to signify before everyone present publicly that that's a defeated foe. I want to tell you tonight, when Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, he took Satan, threw that old boy down on his face, and put his feet, those blessed feet of his, on the neck of Satan. He says, you're a defeated foe. But it doesn't stop there, because he comes alongside of you and I. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visit him? Hey, he comes alongside his prized creation, the ones he loves and he saved. And he says, listen, I've taken Satan, and I've thrown him down on his face, and I want you to come up and realize you are victorious in me. And he says, you can put your foot on his neck, and you can say, ah, you have bruised Satan under your feet through the power of Jesus. Jesus Christ tonight. So we see the prevailing of the Christian life. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. The God who bruises Satan under our feet. The God of peace who makes us perfect to do every good, makes us perfect in every good work to do his will and to do that which is well pleasing in sight. That same God of peace is saying here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he sanctifies us holy. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you tonight, sanctification is attainable. Sanctification can happen. Sanctification can be thorough. Sanctification can be carried out until Jesus comes. Why? Because it is God who does the sanctifying. It is God who does the working through you. You and I need to do the praying and you and I need to do the soul winning, and you and I need to do the Bible reading, and you and I need to do the thanksgiving, and you and I need to abstain from evil, but it's God who worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Are you with me tonight? The reason why we're defeated, the reason why we're on our faces, the reason why you can smell a hypocrite from a mile away, our hypocritical Christianity, we're not making, you know why? Because we're trying to be holy when we cannot be holy apart from him. He must work that work in us. So we see him working at through the God of peace. And secondly, notice this. The sanctification is, 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 is through the tripart being of man. Sanctification. Holiness is not your body. Holiness is through the spirit, soul, and body. God consciousness. Through self-consciousness. Through sense consciousness. Sanctification is a whole process. It's the entire working of your life. Go with, me to, go with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 40, if you would, please. I want you to learn something. If you're, if you're a young parent or a struggling parent, I want you to find a principle here tonight. <clears throat> We're almost done. Now, our spiritual struggle, parents, just indulge me for about five more minutes I'm done, okay? I know you need to go. The spiritual struggle in our life begins at birth, physical birth. Did you know that? It begins at, spirit, it begins at physical birth. Because when a baby's born and enters to the world, what need are we giving attention to at the moment the baby's born? The physical need. Feed the baby. Wash the baby. We're not giving attention to the spirit and soul of the baby. 
In fact, really, that's kind of far from our mind, too. We think that they develop some kind of a consciousness, okay? Now, we have to be part of developing that God consciousness in their life. And the later you, the later you perform that, the harder it is to break the will of the child. Because the child is born with a strong will. How many have a strong-willed child? Don't raise your hand. You know why? Because when they were born, we gave more attention to the body than we did to the spirit. Now, I want you, I want you to notice this here because this is, this is a prize verse of Scripture to help you. Notice, if you would, Luke chapter 2, verse 40. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we find very similar, something similar in the previous chapter dealing with, with John the Baptist. And the child grew. Now, that's every parent's desire, right? There, there's, there, it's healthy for a child to grow, Amen. Okay, brother, brother AJ, Boaz is growing, amen? Boaz, you eat a lot of food. I heard you eat your family out of house and home. Is that true? Huh? <laughs> Children do that, right? They're growing, okay? You want your child to grow, okay? I mean, uh, you're, you're, as a dad, I mean, probably the day, the, day of a, the day of reckoning comes when your son is taller than you, amen? Or your son can pick you up, man, that's the day of reckoning, amen? You know, okay, that's a scary day, amen? Okay? That's why you keep a gun at your side all the time, Amen? So I told you the sixth commandment is for parents, thou shalt not kill, amen? But notice as the child grew, and notice what happened here, watch this. He waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Now you need to raise the child physically, but you've got to raise the child working on the soul and working on the spirit. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Listen, this was a child that had keen insight even as a little child and had foresight as a child and had understanding as a child and knew how to obey. Listen, you work on the child through God consciousness. I'm saying the same thing tonight. Here's what's going on. Sanctification is God working on our God consciousness. Why do we encourage you to come to church three times a week? And why do we encourage you to sit under preaching? And why is preaching why is pre preaching the eminent factor in the church service here? And why, why why is the word of God so important? And why is praying to God so important? I tell you why. Because we are working on the God consciousness of the individual. The sanctification is the work of God in spirit, soul, and body. I don't have time to read it, but you read Romans chapter 8 in your verses that are in your notes. In 1 Corinthians 6, notice what he says here. For what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, which you are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, let's pull together Philippians 1, 6, being confident this very thing, that he has begun a good work. When did he begin it? At salvation. What got saved? Did your body get saved? No, your soul got saved. Be confident this very thing, that he which has begun a good work and will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, isn't that what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.23? Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, so here, here's a basic thought. God, God must be the one working along, as, we, as we do our part. We're praying. We're doing the spiritual exercise and exercising those virtues of the Christian life. Is God who produces that sanctification in us. But notice this tonight. The whole purpose, if you look at verse 23, and this was the prayer of the Apostle Paul, is that the whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why did he say that? What happens at the rapture? Does just my spirit go up? Spirit, soul, and body. We're changing that moment. 
So I want you to notice this. I don't have time to explain it anymore, but I want you to read some verses with me, and then we're done, okay? God wants us, the most important presentation, let me use an example, okay? We just had a wedding on Friday. And, you know, groom that's, in, that's very young, sometimes they, they really don't grasp it. They get it a little bit later. But I think they get it for the most part. When a father escorts his daughter down that aisle, he's going to make a presentation. He's not just giving her away. In marriage, it's a presentation. Because as much as that groom is believed with all his heart that that woman has stayed virtuous through her singlehood, it is the father's belief as he makes his presentation because he's the one escorting her. He's the one that raised her. He's the one that ingrained her with values and virtue and, and vision and all these things for her life. As he escorts her down that aisle, he's going to make a presentation because the question will be asked that father, who gives this girl to this man? And as he's making the presentation, here's the idea God wants us to understand. He's making a presentation that we are presented, that he preserves us. That means he keeps us, and he guards us, and he holds us, and he watches us. I mean, God's intricately involved. God doesn't want you to sin. God doesn't want you going to some dark corner somewhere. God doesn't want you to leave the church. God doesn't want you to leave your prayer closet. God wants, doesn't want you to live in the, the slum of discouragement. God doesn't want you to be living in the, in the sphere of gossip, okay? God, God wants you that when the day Jesus comes, that there's going to be a glorious presentation that you and I are presented to him, blameless before him at his coming. When my wife came to me down that aisle, her father escorted her. He presented her blameless before me. And when God, when we come before Jesus Christ at his coming, we are to be preserved blameless before him at his coming. God wants that whole sanctification process to be such that we're living our life consistently for the glory of God, dedicating our lives and dedicating our bodies so that God alone is glorified through spirit, soul, and body. There, 1 John 2, 28, And now little children abiding him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be shamed before him at his coming. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now listen verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now it's talking about our glorification. Now he, he explains that in Philippians chapter, chapter 3, where God transforms our, our vile bodies and makes it glorious like his. But notice verse 2. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Don't you want to be blameless? If you're going to be transformed into the very same nature as Jesus Christ, then he shall appear. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Then notice verse 3, the motivation for the Christian life. And every man that has his hope in him, that's you and me who are saved. Every man that has his hope in him, purify himself even as he's pure. And how do you do that? That's the work of God, of sanctification. A famous evangelist and his wife, We're driving through a long stretch of where there's road construction. And where the road construction, you've been through this, I've been through this. There are slowdowns. There's detours. Stops along the way. They drove a long time. Without the construction, they would have got to their destination much faster. But there were detours, slowdowns, and 
stops along the way. And finally, they reach the end of all that difficulty. And from that point on, there was smooth pavement that stretched out before them. But it was a wonderful thing as they were driving through all that. They weren't on that stretch of pavement very long until they saw one sign. The sign said this, end of construction. And when we get to the place of sanctification, where we're preserved, blameless spirit, soul, and body before God, that's the end of construction. You get what I'm saying? God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Hey, I want to tell you tonight, sanctification is God's will for your life. Sanctification is God working spirit, soul, and body in you and in me to produce someone that will be pure just as he's pure and sees Jesus Christ. That's my motivation. That's my goal to be holy just like him. You're not going to do any of your power. It's being his power. Just like that girl said, before I got saved, I was a sinner running after sin. But after I got saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. Are you running from sin tonight? 